0: Wouldn't it be great if you could achieve the metrics and goals you need to hit, but also support the personal growth of the people you lead? Those two things are only in conflict if you choose to view them that way. On this episode, Jonathan Raymond returns to show us how to align these to get better at both. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 373. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made, and this weekly show gives you access to the practical wisdom that will empower you to become a better leader. I am willing to bet, because of the fact you're listening to the show, that you care a lot about the personal growth of the people that you have the privilege to influence. I also know because of the fact that you listen to the show that almost certainly you are charged in some way with making sure that your organization is getting results, regardless of how those results are measured and what kind of results you're responsible for. We're all, uh, well, at least most of us are certainly responsible for producing the kind of results that help our organizations be successful. And yet, there's sometimes a tension between those two things or is there an opportunity? Today, we're going to talk about the opportunity. How can we as leaders really find that sweet spot between personal growth and business outcomes? And the very best person to be having this conversation with is Jonathan Raymond. I'm glad to welcome him back to the show. He's been on twice previously. Jonathan is the founder of Refound, where his team and him work with organizations to create a company culture based in personal growth. He is the author of the book, Good Authority, How to Become the Leader Your Team is Waiting for. He's been on the show previously talking about accountability and also how to overcome a dysfunctional culture. And Jonathan, today we are gonna, we're going to tackle this question of how to balance personal growth and business outcomes.
1: It's so good to see you again. Yeah, likewise, Dave. Thanks for having me back. I, I look forward to it. This is a, a subtle, nuanced, and incredibly exciting conversation. I look forward to it.
0: Well, I don't know if I shared this with you. One of our Academy members is, your your book is her, her favorite book, and she's always giving it out to people. So thank you, Beth, for doing that if you're out there yes. listening. thanks, Beth. So many people have found the accountability dial in our community to be helpful. Yet the accountability dial in and of itself, there's, there's so much more here. And I think it really... Comes to this question of how do we balance the personal growth and the business outcomes? I am curious how this started for you and your organization of thinking about the intersection between these two things.
1: For me, it started really personally of feeling like you know, for the better part of my adult life, I I had two sort of internal mandates. I was a hardcore sort of business person. I was entrepreneurial at different points. I worked for other companies at different points. And I really believed in the power of businesses to have positive outcomes in the world, including financial, positive financial outcomes. And at the same time, I was a very, very passionate, personal growth, spiritual seeker. But those two worlds were very separate for me. I, d- I didn't really have a, a vehicle or a mechanic, let's say, for how to think about them as one thing. And I didn't know that I was doing that. Uh, it took my wife and some, some other people around me to, to help me figure out what I didn't know, as is often the case. But uh, for me, it was really seeing that we we're still mostly split between most of us live pretty compartmentalized. We have kind of our at home self, let's say, and our at work self. And it's not that we even intend that. It's that when we show up at work, there are different pressures. There there are there, there's complexity to the organization. There's there's leadership function and dysfunction. There's cultural history. There are so many factors that go into. It's a complex soup that we. Oftentimes, we've had people report, you know, I sort of become somebody else, right? I put my business clothes or my work clothes on. Even though we talk about bringing your whole self to work, that language is more part of the day that we're in right now, right? That's that's more current language. It's still very difficult to do. And it's still, what we see is we still see managers really struggling, as I was, really struggling with how do I talk about work in a way that's personally relevant? And How do I not default to manager speak and these are what the goals are and these are our KPIs? Those things are important, but if I just do that alone and I don't make that last mile of the journey, if I don't help people see how does this connect to their goals, how does it connect to their growth, how does it connect to the person that they are trying to become, not just the company that we are trying to become, then I've missed the moment. and That's the source of, I don't want to say all, but Almost all of the disengagement is when people feel like they're they are not valued for who they are as an individual. They're not challenged for who they are as an individual. And there are so many sort of secondary impacts in the organization that result that we can put under labels of, you know, lost productivity, lost time, politics, silos, you name it. But at the end, what what we're, or let's say at the beginning, is there's a moment that we missed. And in that moment, we missed having a conversation with someone about whatever it is that they're working on, how is it relevant to them? How is it going to help them become that next better version of self? That's where I think the conversation has to be. And leaders that are doing that, I think, are seeing some really outsized gains in how their teams operate.
0: My sense is so many people in our listening community want that so much, to Mm -hmm. be able to find the way to hold those two authentically and transparently, and yet not knowing how to start doing that. And mm-hmm. so I'm I'm wondering, when you have this conversation with organizations and leaders and are opening the door for this, what's the starting point to begin to explore that intersection a bit?
1: The place to start is to talk openly about it and you know we're going to talk a little bit in this episode of what we call emotional transparency. But one of the things that you can do for your team, you know, one of the things after you know people come to our workshops and or we're working with them in some other form, they say, "Well, you know, this was great. What do I do with my team? How do I talk about that? How do I start to change this conversation?" And we always say the same thing, which is tell them that. Tell them, "Hey, you know, I went to this workshop or I read this book or I came across these ideas. I don't really know how we're going to do it? I don't know what it's going to look like at eleven thirty-two next Thursday, but I but I really want to move the needle on this. I don't know how. Can we talk about it? What would that look like? What would it look like to you? What does that mean when I can ask them questions like when I say that there's there's a connection, or I, let's say I have a theory that there's a connection between our individual growth as people here and our business goals. What does that make you think of? What does that mean to you? Use it as a first a tool to open up a conversation about an idea that has a lot of subtlety and nuance to it. It's not obvious. So the first step that you can do is acknowledge that and say, look, this is not necessarily going to be easy. right? The reason why so many people want it and almost nobody gets it is it's really difficult. Mm. It's really difficult to pull off as a leader, as a culture, is to really refine those conversations down to that level where they are personally relevant. So the first step is talk about it openly. Ask, ask them questions. What's an example from your past where you feel like that was happening? Or Conversely, what's an opportunity where you feel like we missed, where you, there was something that was really important to you and we made it too much about the business? Oh. Using those questions to open up that space so you start to create that, that innovative relationship space. I would imagine that that takes
0: a bit of courage to ask those questions, as you point out. And as you get some data points from people, uh, what what next? What's the, this, Is it the answers to the questions themselves that guide you? Or is there an apparent next two or three things that you found that have been helpful of people to go down that path?
1: The, the place to go next, it, those questions will open up if you ask them earnestly and with an open heart the they, they, an open mind. You'll get some amazing information. You know, we like to think about feedback as a diagnostic. You know, when I have feedback for something, my feedback, my assumption is the problem isn't the thing that I'm seeing. There's something else going on. And so the purpose of my feedback is to get at that other thing. Hmm. So that's sort of that first thing of why we ask questions that way. But the way to go there, and this may sound counterintuitive, is to get smaller with your thinking. So, if you start with an assumption that we have this big, we're going to ship fifty thousand units next quarter, how do I make that personally relevant? You won't succeed. It's there. That's 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 the wrong inquiry. That's the wrong setup. So, what I mean by getting it smaller is, what does their day to day work look like as connected to that? What is the role that they play on that project, for example? Right. So, whether they are a maybe they're a primary individual contributor. Maybe they're a stakeholder. Maybe they're somebody who's consolidating information and doing reporting across the company. There's something about their role that's really important to the success of that project. And By focusing your attention on what is it about their role, what is it about what they're doing that is, if they do it well, is going to help us reach that goal of 50,000 units next quarter. Now, from there, how does that relate to a growth goal that they have for themselves? In, inside of those cycles, that's where all the good stuff is. You know, I've really been focusing on, you know, moving through my day more simply and, you know, better managing my calendar. Great. How can we tie that to this role that you have on the project? So it's not the outcome at the level of the specific number; it's the outcome at the level of my contribution to that outcome. God, that's it. how you find the personal growth connection. Got it. So
0: it's getting down to the small pieces and. You know I'm so conscious of what you said a few minutes ago of how hard this is, so i I don't mean to try to trivialize it by asking you know this question of you know what's the next step or what's the way to do it because it's not an obvious next step in every situation, but I, I I do get the sense that there's probably an element in this of I have to as the leader in the conversation, I have to know something of the personal growth goal. And also, the person that I'm having the conversation with has to have the self-awareness enough to know something of their personal growth goal. And I'm interested in when, when you've seen that work well, when that clarity, or at least some clarity emerges around
1: that for both parties, how is it that they get there? It's sort of a similar sort of counterintuitive move there, which is If someone, if I'm working with somebody and they say, and I say, you know, what's your personal growth goal? They say, well, I want to be the CTO of my own company. Okay. I mean, like I I get it, but I can't really work with that. What I can work with, what is a skill that you feel like you, I understand you want to be the CTO of your own company one day. That's, Mm -hmm. that's a wonderful ambition. What's a skill that you either don't have today, or you know, you need to improve upon in order to reach that goal. Get me one level less abstract. And so that's the question that you want to ask. Like, I, that's I want to know what their sort of top level life goal is, what the bullet point is. But if I but in order to help that person, I got to get deeper. I have to understand what is it about. What does it mean to you to be the CTO? what, is, what do you think life will be like for you when you're doing that? What's the kind of work that you'll be doing day to day? What are the skills that you feel like you need to? Well, I don't know. I never thought about that. Great. How about for a first project? Why don't you do some thinking? Let's, in our next one-on-one, I'd love for you to come up with a list of what you think are the top three skills that you think you're going to need to land that CTO role. And then let's pick one together that I might be able to help you work with. Oh, nice. So it's almost the same thing, like you were saying a minute ago,
0: on the business side of, you've got the 50,000 units and we need to ship those this month. Don't start there. Start with a smaller piece of that person's role and responsibilities. But- it's the same thing on the personal side, really. Yes. It's, yes, being conscious of what the larger vision is, where what the five-year plan is for my career and what I want to do. But then it's encouraging that person to do the next level down of like, okay, but what's, what's one skill? What's two skills? What's three skills that you're going to need in order to be successful
1: in that role? And what you just mirrored back, right? And, and what we're talking about in that conversation is caring, right? By going from the abstract sort of big picture goal, whether that's business or professional and asking questions and being willing to stay in the conversation, right? This is what managers don't do. And at their peril, they don't stay in the conversation. They move back to their inbox, they move on to the next meeting. Mm -hmm. And that's so palpable to the person on the receiving end is, well, they're not really interested in me. They're not really invested in my growth. This is what investing in their growth looks like. It means saying, "Mm, you know, that's okay. Let's refine it. Let's get deeper. Let's spend a few more minutes. And it's, it's funny, you know, right, right before this call, I, was all, all getting, I got off the phone with a, the CEO of an enormous multinational corporation. Yeah. And we were talking about people management. And one of the things that, I, that he said, which I thought was fascinating, because, you know, I loved, I'm a small company CEO. He's a very, very large company CEO. And one of the things that I thought was fascinating, he said, if I could just get people to see that getting smaller with their people is the biggest thing that they could do, that there's a whole bunch of stuff on their list of priorities that would either be d- reduced or would go away entirely if they would put this this thing around the, around self development and growth at the top of the agenda. If I could get them to do that, and of course I said, well, that's why you hired us, and so you know that's that's our job. Yeah, yeah. But but I you know, that's where we are, and we made we made this analogy to you know the consumer life cycle, right? He, he's in a consumer products company. The consumer life cycle is so much faster. We have to be so much smarter as business people, as salespeople, as marketers, as product designers to be listening for those rapid cycles and turning things over and adapting and changing. The exact same thing is true when it comes to the people management part of our roles. We have to be much faster. We have to be much more refined, much more intelligent with the way we listen. What did I hear just now? What did they want to say but didn't actually say? Right that's what we do with customers right we're always looking for what are the actions that they took so that i can adapt and flex and do something different same exact principle as applied to personal growth you have to unpack you got to think like a designer as you're designing that personal growth track for that person ultimately it's their responsibility to do the growing but it's your responsibility to do the facilitation or the coaching whichever word fits for you and i'm i'm also hearing
0: you not say you need to sit down and have a three-hour conversation with someone, but to have the courage to ask the second or third question. And instead of that being a five-minute conversation, maybe it's a seven or eight-minute conversation, but to not necessarily go tons longer, but to just be more conscious about the thinking that
1: you have about getting real and getting specific. That's right. And you know one of the internal sort of mantras we have at Refound is leaders need sentences not sessions, right? You don't need 3 hours with a coach. You don't you don't need 3 hours with an employee or even 90 minutes. It can be 3 minutes. You can be there can be a lot of value in at, one of the things I think we don't do often enough is we don't ask a, we don't ask a question and let it breathe. Right? We ask a question we're so conditioned to to ask a question and expect a response or be asked a question and respond immediately. And the, and the impulse control to say, wow, that's a really interesting question. I don't know what I think about that right now. Let mm. me get back to you. That cycle, there's so much power. There is so much strength on both sides of the equation. The person sort of giving the feedback or trying to facilitate that conversation the other person. If it's feedback worth giving, it's feedback that's worth thinking about. right? So if it has an easy answer, it was probably useless feedback that didn't really need to be uttered. Mm. But if you take the time to ask somebody a question, especially a question that you don't know the answer to, don't expect an answer right away. You, do, you you'll undermine your own question, and you can even use phrases like that. Hey, you know, I actually think I want to. Th- I have this question. I don't know the answer. I want to think about it. I'd love for you to think about it. Let's talk about it in a couple of days, right? And it's that uh, that slow down to speed up thing, which obviously you know we've heard before. But those cycles, we you know a lot of times when we you know we start with clients. And people, you know, people will say, well, they'll do pulse surveys and they'll say, yeah, well, employees want more feedback. And we'll survey the employees. Like, does anybody here, is anybody here suffering from a lack of feedback? Nobody raises their hand, right? Like mm-hmm. they're getting plenty of feedback. They're getting too much feedback. The quality of that feedback is questionable, right? And so what they're really saying when they say, I want more feedback is I want someone to ask me better questions. I want someone to challenge me. I want someone to hold me accountable. I want someone to be interested in me as an individual beyond what I can do for the specific tasks on that day. And so that sort of internal mantra is like, you don't, you don't have to solve it that day. In fact, you can't, right? If it's a problem worth solving, you can't solve it in five minutes when it comes to personal growth. And there's, there's no personal growth journey in the history of humankind that took five minutes, mm. right? It doesn't work that way. We, we operate on longer cycles than that. We're more complex beings honor that in those in those conversations.
0: It's really interesting what you're saying. My sense is for most of us, me included for sure, when we get into a role of leadership or of some other responsibility, there's a lot of pressure to feel like we need to have the answers. And I think that probably worked 10, 15, 20 years ago to have a lot of answers as a leader. And my sense is today that that doesn't work so well anymore is it's really about having the right questions and yet a lot of us get into situations where we feel like we need to lead and we need to look smart in a in a room or a situation and we start doing a lot of answer giving and yet when you talk to people uh, and you ask people the question who's been the best leader you've ever had they never say it's the person who had all the answers. Right. It's always, I loved that I had this leader 15 years ago. And when I brought them a problem, they really listened and they thought through it with me. And they didn't try to pretend to know the answer when they didn't know it. And I saw right. them struggle with things. And I saw them make mistakes occasionally and that they were real and authentic. And so it's
1: it's that encouragement to go where we would want to be led ourselves. Yeah. And, and there's this inherent tension between a business that is striving for certainty and visibility and predictability, and a human being that is on this twisty, turny, sometimes torturous journey of what we call authenticity, right? Yeah. And so there's an inherent tension between those two things and being mindful of that. And that's how you can make a difference, right, in the lives of the people around you. But it's important to remember that nobody should you know, be feeling bad about themselves as a result of this because I wasn't of the, you know, however many thousands and thousands of people on your list, I haven't been to all of your elementary schools and your high schools, but I promise there was no course on this. I know that there was no class on asking good questions and and in place of, you know, providing the right answers. And it wasn't in your high school unless you go to a really progressive high school these days and it wasn't in your university and it wasn't in your grad school and it wasn't in your first jobs and it wasn't in your second, third or fourth jobs. We're in a new moment right now, exactly as you said that skill of pushing through and having the right answer and being the problem solver that worked it doesn't work anymore. People will leave and they will disengage and if and they probably already have right you probably if you have a leader like that, you have already disengaged to some meaningful degree if you feel like they're not interested in your they don't make space for your contribution, for your ideas for your innovations for those sort of algorithms to be happening you know, inside of the company. But there is that tension, and it's important, like we talked about at the beginning. Hey, you know, as a business, we want predictability, we want, we want scale, we want regularity, we want uniformity, and there's an inherent tension with what does it mean to grow as a human being because that doesn't happen in a linear way, right? Like we said in the book, you don't get to grow and look good at the same time. That's not how it happens. right? If anyone who's ever been a parent or been in an intimate relationship or been a soccer coach, you don't get to look good and grow at the same time. There's an inherent tension there and you have to be okay with that.
0: Yeah. And that's really hard, isn't it? So I'm actually thinking about one of our previous conversations, the accountability dial, which is a fabulous part of your book, Good Authority. And for those oh, who are, are struggling with how to really have more accountability in your organization. It is the number one recommendation I always have. And the thing that I missed when I read the book and in our first conversation was how you often challenge people to also use the accountability dial for praise. And in the context of what
1: we've been talking about, tell me how you do that. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a it's funny because you know in our industry, in the leadership and coaching industry, companies often come to us like, how do we improve the quality of feedback? And the, and the general tone of that is managers aren't having the awkward, tough conversations. Yeah, yeah, exactly. What, what's often missed is they're not having the praise, positive, double down on goodness conversations either, right? And so the tool is designed in that way. So the quick refresher, what we call the mention, the, the invitation, the conversation, the boundary and the limit, you can think of them as stages of an accountability conversation. So, just like you would use the accountability dial to flag something that isn't going right in a hallway moment, right? Maybe you have hallways in your office, maybe you don't. You would use the same thing. Hey, that was a great email that you sent. I loved how you took the time to really address the, what the customer was asking for. Really nice work. So, there's that specific moment. It's not an annual review, right? It's just a moment. It's just a moment in passing that as a manager, you think, well, well that's no big deal. Like, why, why would I even waste my time? It's a huge deal. It's an enormous moment for the person on the receiving end because they took time. They made it a priority. You noticed it. So that's that mention. Now, let's say they've been, you know, they've been really striking gold in some sales calls or whatever over the course of a week or two to be able to say, Hey, you're really on a roll there. I know, you know, I, I heard the recording of that call and I see we we I know we didn't close that deal, but it looks like you know, we at least it's moving along and you've got these other things like you're really on a roll. What's your secret? Right. So that's a version of the invitation. What's the pattern? Like, what are you doing Ah. that is common to those three or four good moments? It's in exactly the same way that I want to find the common thread of maybe something that needs to improve. I want to find the common thread of something that's already improving. And then so forth through the accountability dial. How do I talk about something good that somebody's doing and say, because people don't appreciate this, actually dial it down and unpack it and say, look, you know, we've been talking about this. This is really great that you're doing, but I don't know if you really appreciate just how good it is. Let's be really specific. What are the impacts that it's having across our organization when you're doing that? I don't know. I never thought about what the impacts are. Well, let's spend our next one-on-one, let's take 45 minutes to talk about the secondary positive impacts that that behavior is having. That's how you ground it in, right? That's how you make it real for somebody like, wow. My manager's not here to pick on me. My manager is here to help me grow. And they're going to take the time just as they would if I was doing something that wasn't great. When I am doing something that is great, that's where they're like, they on, they're on fire. They're like, hey, let's talk more about that. Let's let's unpack it. It's not enough to say great work. It's not nearly enough. You have to get underneath it. What are they doing? How what steps are they taking? What process did they change? What did they hear from a customer that made them change their mind? And by doing that, you honor their contribution, you double down on on who they are as an individual, they feel seen, they feel heard, they feel valued, all good things happen. So the accountability dial in the same way as you're moving through a positive growth cycle as you are through what you would call a a critical uh, growth cycle. I would
0: imagine that if you do that well and help people to find those threads and explore those opportunities, just as you would if you were doing it for the critical feedback, that it starts to uncover the building blocks of what we were talking about earlier, of what are the skills, not only on the role in the business side, but also what are the things that that person's really excited about from the personal development side. And then you have the building blocks to start to put those together and find the intersections
1: in those conversations. Exactly. I have nothing more to add to what you just said. Nice. Perfectly said
0: so one of the other tools you mentioned and and I think you you may have even used the term with me of like this is almost like a mechanic is mm-hmm. a, emotional transparency and i don't that wasn't a phrase i was really familiar with how does emotional transparency fit into this in order to open up some of that
1: sure so when we've used the phrase emotional transparency well, I think positive is that we're, we, we're, the word emotion is not, is not a sort of third rail in company culture anymore. We can talk about emotion. There's a, there, the reason why we use that phrase is very specific is what we find is that when managers are giving feedback, again, both praiseworthy or, or critical feedback, they leave themselves out of the equation because they think erroneously, but they think that it's not relevant. It's not relevant what they think or what they feel or what they're seeing, and it's hugely relevant. Your employees want to know what you're concerned about. What are you anxious about? What are you hopeful about? What are you optimistic about? What do you, what are you seeing that you're, that is just causing you to wonder and you don't really know what to make of? So being able to surface what you're thinking, what you're feeling, what you're sensing, right? Even with your intuition, hey, I don't, I don't know what it is, but there was something about this morning's meeting. It just felt like the team was off. Did you notice that? That's emotional transparency. That every single employee that we've ever worked with in any organization, when they hear managers talk like that, they can exhale. They go, "Ah," oh. because they are they are already feeling that. Mm. They are they are already receiving strong emotional signals from their manager about whether their manager is frustrated or angry or worried or happy or whatever. And what emotional transparency does is it brings it into the room. It says it takes it out of the shadows instead of saying like, well, everybody's sort of assuming we know what everybody else is feeling, we're saying it. Hey, it's not the end of the world, but I'm concerned about these this set of trouble tickets that I saw. Maybe it's nothing, maybe it's something. That's the emotional transparency because when we don't do that, we micromanage, we're too heavy-handed. It shows up in our tone of voice, it shows up in our body language. So the mechanic there is using emotional transparency to back up as a leader to be more self-centered as a leader and say look something happened I'm not here to be heavy-handed authority person and say that went wrong go fix it that leadership style that's that's sailed a long time ago right in the modern organization yeah for me to back up in myself and say hey here's what I see but I'm just one human being right Yes I'm a leader of this team but I'm also on the team I don't have all the answers uh, but I but I have a question I'm curious if other people are feeling the same thing. That's the candor and the openness. The transparency that people are looking for, it's not informational. It's not how many widgets are we going to sell? What, how much cash do we have in the bank? That's nice. And if you can do that, the more you can do that, that's helpful. But that's not the transparency that people actually want. They want to know what you're thinking. They want to know what you're feeling. They want to know what you're worried about. Because guess what? They're already feeling it. They want you to be transparent with them.
0: And there's so much power in naming it. And even if you don't know what the answer is, as you pointed out, just bringing it into consciousness. And I, I was under the erroneous belief, as an early leader, and I've seen other leaders try to do this too, that well, if I don't, if I just don't talk about this awkward thing that might be going on, somehow it's going to disappear. <laughs> and yeah. it's like I'm laughing at myself even saying it out loud. It sounds so ridiculous, and yet, I think most of us have had that natural reaction of, well, let me just not call attention to it and it will go away. And the reality is more often that if we do acknowledge it, and even if we don't have the answers, that it opens up the opportunity for us to talk about what everyone's already thinking anyway, right?
1: Right. There's a great uh, phrase out there. I, I, I wish I could credit the original person who said it, but what you resist persists. Right, And so if you resist the feelings that you have, the thoughts that you have, the concerns that you have, they will stay there. And not only that, the people on your team, because you know this, because we do this ourselves, they will make up their own story about what you're thinking and feeling and what does it mean for them. And the story that they make up isn't as good as the one that you, are, <laughs> that you actually could, yeah. could tell them. So you deescalate so much of the politics and the gossip and the, I wonder if, and is she thinking that? If you will just say what it is, you get bigger than it, right? If we're afraid of our emotions, oh, I'm terrified, I can't say that. If you ever find yourself in a leadership role and you think, oh my God, the one thing that I can't say is that, that's the thing that you need to say. Yeah. You need to find a way to say that. Don't You don't necessarily have to blurt it in an all-hands company meeting. Find the right context, but you've got to find a way to get that out of the, the internal workings of your mind, heart, body, and soul you got to get it outside of yourself. Talk it through with a colleague, hey, this is the thing I'm terrified to say. Help me find a way to say it that's smart, that fits the moment. But don't keep it inside. And as you point out, a story
0: is going to emerge regardless. The question is, Is are you going to be part of crafting that story? Or are you going to allow it to just you know emerge however people in the organization decide to have it emerge? And so if we have the courage to be a part of helping that story come together and crafting that story and struggling with those answers then, and the questions, then we can do a lot better by organization and be a lot more influential. Jonathan, you have so many wonderful resources uh, for all of us. Two of them specifically I want to point out. One of them we mentioned already, good authority, how to become the leader your team is waiting for. If you've found something helpful in this conversation, if you want to dive into more of the accountability dial. I just love the framework that you've created in the book and it's something i've been recommending to leaders ever since it came out so for those of you who found this helpful i certainly recommend that you also have something new on your website jonathan that's more of a resource for organizations a digital workshop could you tell us more about
1: that yeah one of the things this was a surprise to me you know we we have traditionally delivered our work on site and in person and that sort of you know typical kind of seminar experience And we've been toying with this idea of, you know, can we do this digitally? Can we do this with people, you know, wherever they are? And I've been really more than pleasantly surprised that there is, there are some things that we can do. And actually, there's some things that we can do better. So it's something we started doing with existing clients as part of kind of larger programs. And we're now doing publicly. So if you have a team of people, we do it in small groups. So it's a safe environment and really focus on learning. But we do a 90-minute digital workshop that I know you'll you'll put a link. It's uh, refund.com slash digital-workshop, you can send us a note and we can talk about uh, what it looks like and the logistics for getting one for your team.
0: Sounds great. I am going to get that in the weekly leadership guide. So for those of you who get that on Wednesday, be watching for that link. Uh, Jonathan, before I let you go, I often ask people about failures. You've told us about several in past episodes. So I'm curious about as you've been doing work with organizations, as the book
1: has gotten more traction over the last couple of years,
0: what have you changed your mind
1: on? Hmm. The thing that I've changed my mind on is it, I really had this question of you know this work it's, it came so much from my own personal experience and my own leadership ups and downs and I wondered and I sort of had this assumption that I, that I have to be the one to do it, that I can't delegate this to other trainers and facilitators. and I've been proven wrong uh, recently, including that there are certain facilitators on our team that deliver it better than I do some you know for certain audiences, for certain audiences I may be Right person and other audiences, others are, and so that's something that I've really wondered about. Like, can these tools, can this training be delivered by others? Can I delegate and let go of this? And I really wanted that to be true. I didn't want to make the Jonathan Raymond show. I had no, I don't have illusions of grandeur in that way. At other points in my life, maybe I did, but I've really changed my mind, and, and I see that there are people who are better at this than I am. There are things that I'm good at, and I'm and I'm getting better at better at learning the difference between those two.
0: It's. I think it's a struggle for almost every leader, Jonathan, to be able Mm. to recognize A, what we're good at and B, what we're not as good at. And how do we encourage others and empower others to be able to do those things and to do it better than we can?
1: Indeed. Yeah.
0: Jonathan, thank you so much for your wisdom. I so appreciate it.
1: Thanks for having me on, Dave. Really enjoyed the conversation.
0: Thank you, Jonathan. If you know someone who is a leader and struggling with this balance of the business or organizational results and personal growth of their folks, this is a great episode to pass along to them. Thanks in advance if you decide to do that. And I hope you will also check out some related conversations to this conversation today if you found this helpful. I believe you'll also find episode 306 helpful, Five Steps to Hold People Accountable. Jonathan Raymond was on the show back then as well, and we talked through the five steps in the accountability dial that we referenced in this conversation. If you haven't heard that episode and you are looking for a good model for accountability. And as we talked about in this episode, both in a way of handling tough situations, but also in the same way, reward and recognition. It's a great model for both. So that's episode 306. Check that out. Also a great support to today's conversation would be the message from Edgar Schein and Peter Schein back on episode 363, The Path of Humble Leadership. You heard a lot of echoes. Of humble leadership in today's conversation as well. Great compliment to this message. And then finally, if you're looking for a framework to really dive in and understand more about how you can help people to grow personally and where to go in that conversation and what's important to them, I don't think there's a better model for that than episode 370, three steps to great career conversations. My guest on that episode was Russ Laraway. We talked through the three-step, three-meeting actually model over a period of weeks where you can sit down with each of the people you lead and really learn about their background in detail, where they are going next, and then put together the action plan to help them to get there. Another really important framework that will help you to achieve that. So again, that's episode 370. And you can track down Those three episodes and every episode in the podcast library that is searchable by topic just by establishing your free membership on the coachingforleaders.com website. If you do that, you will get access to the entire catalog of the podcast since 2011. Also, you'll get immediate access to my free 10-day audio course titled 10 Ways to Empower the People you lead. If you'll give me 10 minutes a day for the next 10 days, it'll help you to get the most immediate, practical results to become a better leader. In addition, you'll get access to all the member casts, my own personal library where I record everything that goes in the Wednesday weekly leadership guides, also searchable by topic uh, from the last several years, and of course the Wednesday leadership guides as well. So all of that's available just by going over to Coaching for Leaders. Dot com and setting up your free membership tons more there too in the library next week i am going to be having the q a episode <laughs> you may be wondering well isn't this the first monday of the month it was supposed to be today this does not reflect any kind of strategy change or schedule change on the show this does reflect my inability to read a calendar <laughs> the uh next month, you're snuck up on me. So next week, we'll have the Q&A show. And we usually do that the first Monday of every month. Bonnie will be back. If you have a question you'd like us to consider for that episode or any future Q&A episode, go over to coachingforleaders.com slash feedback to submit your question to us. Have a fabulous week and see you back next week with Bonnie. Take care, everyone.